Thank you for joining us today for avoiding litigation in the Lone Star State. I'm Laura Krause with Cress Insurance Services. Today, we welcome attorney Tom O'Connell from Gant, Cone, Binney and Kidd, which has offices in the Woodlands and Dallas. Tom has been defending real estate professionals since 1986 and is a valued member of the Crest Legal Panel for more than 20 years. Tom is also a licensed Trek instructor. Along with Tom, we have Dave Miller, Regional Vice President with Fidelity National Home Warranty. Dave manages the Crest Advantage Home Warranty Plan, which ties into Crest's E&O insurance. We have a lot to cover, so Dave, I'll let you get started. Thanks, Laura, for having us today. I am so uh, excited about uh, talking with uh, my, my good friend, Tom O'Connell. I think we've known each other for about 20 years. And Tom, we are so lucky to have you and all the, the members of Cress and, and real estate professionals in Texas. So we're also lucky to have you because you bring such a wealth of knowledge and you've been doing this for so long that you have pretty much in your 25, 30 years seen, seen it all. So, so Tom, welcome today. Well, thank you. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to that, but we'll try my best. You already put me in a corner as it is. But that's all. Oh, that's great. Well, we have um, we have a risk management piece that you put over uh, that you sent over to Crest Insurance, and they've updated it on their uh, their website. So I really just wanted to pick out a couple of those uh, questions and dig a little bit deeper, if I may, um, and, and have you answer those for me. Um, well, the first one is, and, and this market's pretty crazy, and I know that real estate transactions are, are far and few between, and we have agents that maybe are doing everything that they can for their customers. And sometimes this means stepping out of their primary specialty or maybe getting into a, a geographical area, area that is not theirs. Um, you know, we talk about, can you explain the importance of maybe the agents staying in their lane and maybe some of the pitfalls that occur when they try to do too much? Yeah, that no problem there. And also when I'm giving you these, uh, um, when I'm explaining this to you, I'm also going to be giving you examples from actual litigation that I've been involved in. So um, yeah, you're not going to be able to get away from my war stories, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> but one quick way for you to get embroiled in uh, yourself in a lawsuit as a real estate agent is be involved in uh, transactions far beyond your expertise or in unfamiliar geographical areas. And the, the thing that I'm probably talking about the most that happens most often is commercial transactions. And so just to give you an example of this, when, when you're listening to this as a real estate agent, if you've never heard of something called an estoppel letter, you probably shouldn't be handling commercial transactions, okay? So let me give you an example of an actual lawsuit I was involved in. Um, an agent with experience in handling residential transactions is contacted by an individual to have an agent assist him in purchasing a small commercial office building. And there are other agents in the, in the agency that can help you as far as opportunity to be included in this. And, but you're thinking, I'm going to get a big commission here, so I'm not going to enlist their help. So what happens here is the, the office, you know, the, the, the transaction ends up closing. Um, afterwards, litigation ensues. And what's going to happen here is so oftentimes there may be numerous problems that pop up with the office building and in a subsequent lawsuit against the agent by the buyer, it's determined that you as the agent, were, there were numerous steps that you did not take in the transaction that would have been the custom and practice of a commercial real estate agent. So what should you do about this? Well, I'm no dummy. I, I mean, if I, if I had my druthers, I'd say don't be involved at all, but I know that's probably not gonna happen. So what you need to do in that situation is enlist the aid of a qualified agent to assist you in that transaction. Because otherwise you may mire yourself in litigation. So that's the first simple, easy step I have here to avoid litigation. 
Perfect. And we've talked about in the past, you know, agents trying to wear so many different hats in the transaction, maybe a little bit of the TC work and, uh, you know, get involved with the home inspector, getting involved with uh, with escrow. What are some of the, the downfalls of an agent, you know, trying to, to wear too many hats uh, in the transaction? Yeah, I see this a lot, too, because, uh, you know, you know, real estate agents always want to come across as being knowledgeable and helpful to the client. But as you probably already know this, you can be having more problems becoming too knowledgeable or too helpful in this thing. So um, one of the examples is that ordinarily you're not under a duty to conduct your own independent investigations um, under Texas law, but you could be responsible if you assume that duty. So let's go over an example of another lawsuit that I was actually involved in. An agent's assisting his client in locating property suitable to build a large residence on. The client notices pipeline easement stakes on the property and asks the agent to determine the width of the easement. Because in this situation, the available survey, believe it or not, only states that it is of undeterminable width. The agent agrees to do so rather than suggesting that they retain a separate surveyor. And so visits with the pipeline company, informs the client the pipeline company told it was 50 foot in width. So however, the client later alleges that she told him it was only 25 feet and they only discovered it was 50 feet after they get an angry letter from the pipeline company demanding they stop construction. So what should we have done in that situation? Well, here what we sh should have done, the agent should have done is politely decline the client's request that they determine the width of the easement and inform the client that they needed to retain a surveyor of their own choice. And that's, it's as simple as that. And that's one thing that the agent could have done that she didn't. She assumed duties and responsibilities, responsibilities that she normally isn't required to under Texas law, but since she assumed that responsibility or duty, then she's responsible for that as well. So that's an example of how an, uh, an agent trying to be too helpful can get mire themselves in additional problems. That's crazy, that's, uh, that's great information. So we have uh, across the board been seeing rate increases uh, in insurance and, and of course E&O insurance uh, rates are on the rise and they're mostly driven because of uh, lawsuits and, and they're happening now in all states, whereas before it was really just the litigious states like California. So if I'm guessing, there's probably only about 50% of the real estate offices uh, and agents that carry E&O insurance in Texas. Why do you think it's it's always been historically so low and obviously give us um, some education on why it's so important to carry it? Well, you know, and I get this a lot too from agents sometimes that I get the story from agents and brokers that they don't carry you know insurance for two reasons. Number one, because of the cost, but also they some for some odd reason think that makes them a target for litigation. And in addition, I also get told this also that you know a lot of the agents say, "Hey, I'm judgment proof. You know, you can't get squeeze blood out of a out of a turnip, so to speak." And so let them go after me and let them get a judgment against me. I'm just going to keep selling real estate. So let me give the example, another example here. A listing agent sued by a buyer alleging that the agent failed to disclose a defect. And so the agent doesn't have any no insurance and decides he can't afford an attorney after every attorney he visits with wants a minimum $10,000 retainer. You know, that's the real world. So he, he, the agent, files his own answer to the lawsuit. The buyer's attorney then takes the agent's deposition. In addition to the fact the agent makes numerous admissions against his interests he may not have made otherwise if he had the benefit of counsel. Now the attorney discovers for the first time the agent doesn't carry you know insurance, all right? So that's usually the way it comes up, not at the beginning. And so ultimately, because they don't have counsel, 
um, or maybe they don't have, they have counsel that doesn't know what they're doing, they end up getting a judgment against them. And remember the story I said before, which said, well, you know, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is if you heard something called the real estate recovery fund. So the way that works is if they end up getting a judgment against you as the agent, what if the plaintiff's attorney knows what he's doing, he's going to apply to the fund for it to get paid for them to get paid. And the least time, last time I checked, it pays up to hundred or excuse me, $50,000 per incident. And so you're thinking, well, that sounds pretty good to me. Somebody else is going to pay for it and I'm just going to keep selling real estate. No, that's not the way it works. The way it works is that Trek's going to look at that. They're going to suspend your license. They're not going to consider giving you back your license until you pay them back. And even then your conduct may be so egregious that you may never get your license back. So that illustrates the point, the example I gave you that this idea you're not going to get sued because you don't have, you know, insurance, that's just a total crock. And so in my situation, in the example I gave you, it wasn't until well into the discovery process where they actually found that out. And this also creates another good point is that if you have a, you know, insurance, you're more likely than not going to get, uh, have an attorney be retained that knows, you know, uh, litigation and you're more likely to get an attorney that knows what they're doing. So that's a couple of reasons why you, you should always have E&O insurance. Right, now that's a great point. Uh, let's dig into that a little bit further. Obviously, those uh, members that have Crest for their E&O insurance, if there's a claim, they're gonna get uh, a real estate attorney like yourself or somebody else in the state of Texas. Um, but for those that don't have E&O insurance, why is it really important that they, they seek counsel from a real estate you know, attorney versus maybe just a general counsel. Well, the example I have here is actually is what you know, is you know insurance, but unfortunately the, the carrier that was involved in it uh, didn't do a very good job of it uh, as far as retaining counsel. An example I have in my um, class is a real estate agent sued in a rural area. The agent proposes to the you know adjuster handling the file that they retain a guy named Bob Smith an attorney that's been licensed for 30 years and according to the agent knows all the judges in the area. And he probably does know all the judges in the area. Um, the problem with that though is um, Bob gets into the litigation a couple months before he actually goes to trial. Um, he realizes he's way over his head. And the reason why is because Bob's a probate attorney. He knows nothing about handling E&O matters. And so he calls up the E&O carrier and says, look, you gotta get me out of this. Why don't you call up an attorney that knows what he's doing? I get the phone call. It's 60 days before trial. The problem is the damage is probably already done. Maybe he didn't designate the proper expert, or maybe this guy who's a probate attorney didn't make the take the proper depositions and so forth. So that illustrates the point of why it's very important for you as a real estate agent to have an attorney that's well-versed in handling real estate E&O matters. And so I'd say this and knock uh, members of my uh, legal community, but sometimes some of the big firms are notorious for this. Um, if it may be, for example, a really big law firm that gets hired to uh, represent you and you might be th thinking, oh, that's wonderful. I've heard of them before. Yeah. They give you this well-named um, partner that's gonna handle my case. And so, um, you know, he, he's gonna take care of everything. And so we're gonna set you up. We're gonna send a lawyer out there to, um, to handle this matter. The lawyer shows up at your office and he looks like he just got out of law school. And the problem with that is he probably did just get out of law school because a lot of these big firms don't like the rates or whatever. And so they're going to have this young attorney cut his teeth on your case. And does that sound like a very good option? No, of course it doesn't. 
And so you need to make sure that the attorney that comes out to, to visit with you is well first in handling real estate E&O matters. Um, he knows about some of the cases that I'm gonna reference to you. When he's looking at that seller's disclosure statement, he doesn't have this confused look on his face of what's that? You know, he knows the proper questions to ask. And so it's very important that the attorney that is, gets retained on your behalf is well-versed in handling real estate E&O matters. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, let's slide over to uh, the disclosure side, which is always our most uh, most important word. Um, but what are some of the duties and what are, are not some of the duties of real estate agents in Texas when disclosing uh, defects under Texas case law? Well, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough, that, and we're going to go over this in a little bit, that when in doubt, disclose, disclose, disclose. You should always disclose any potential defects. And so as far as the case law in Texas, um, you, you're, it's surprisingly, it isn't as much as what you think it is. In Texas, basically, the case law says you can't disclose what you don't know about. That's kind of common sense there anyway. So a lot. what that means is that under the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act, or I'll call the DTPA, you, can't, you can only disclose what you have actual knowledge of in order to be actionable. So it's not even enough to say that you should have known about it, all right? You have to have actual knowledge. And the other thing I wanted to disclose or to mention was that, uh, and I kind of touched on this a little bit, that earlier case I referenced is the Kabinsky case. And I also want to reference the Ozuna case in Texas case law that um, we went over this a little bit before that you're not under a duty to conduct, to conduct independent investigations regarding the character or condition of the property unless you assume those duties. Remember what we talked about there before? So um, the way this could come up, for example, is um, let's say that um, your client's looking at a piece of property and there's spider cracks in the corner. And we all know that just can mean normal settlement. But let's say that um, um, putting aside the fact that there's an inspection, that they, your client buys the property and then, and then it turns out that it's a bad foundation. So you end up getting a demand letter from their attorney saying that, well, maybe you didn't actually know about it, but you should have known that this had a crack foundation. Well, remember that um, Kabinsky case I gave? You have to have actual knowledge, right? Or they might say, well, um, additionally, you should have known about it. You know, they might say that um, you ne neglected your duty in not conducting a thorough investigation. And so you should have had it checked out. Well, what's interesting about that is under the Ozuna case, no, you're not under a duty to conduct independent investigations unless you assume that duty. So if I'm handling that case for you and I get that a copy of that demand letter, I'm going to tell that lawyer that obviously you're not familiar with either the Kabinsky or the Zuna case. We don't have, assume those duties and responsibilities, and you don't have a case against us unless we have actual knowledge of the defect. So if you're going, if you're going to do that, if you're going to file suit, not only am I, are we going to respond to that, but we're going to go after you for attorney's fees under prevailing party clause in the contract. And that's another question for another day of obviously. So, but yeah, so um, your duties are actually more limited than you may be thinking, um, but uh, it only requires a, a disclosure as far as things you have actual knowledge of. Okay. okay. So speaking of disclosing again, how does a real estate uh, professional limit their liability when putting information and in maybe a marketing piece that was obtained from another uh, source? And I, of course, uh, square footage comes to mind first, but what are some other examples? And then uh, how do they limit their liability there? 
Well, when I when I do this class, I kind of always joke to the um, agents out there, this might be one of those times you might want to wake up a little bit because it's going to actually affect your pocketbook. And so because the, the problem with you utilizing information from other sources back to character condition of the property is if it's wrong, information is wrong, you may be held liable. So um, let me give you an example. Let's say the, you're, you're, the list, you're the listing agent and your client tells you the square footage without knowing if it's correct, they tell you it's 5,500 square feet. So you advertise in your flyer that the square footage is 5,500 square feet. A potential purchaser sees that, uh, relies on that and, and buys a property and it turns out it's actually 4,500 square feet. Well, I think we all know what's gonna happen next. They're gonna end up suing under that because unfortunately you made an, an actual representation that it was, um, 5,500 square feet and it wasn't. Now, uh, there are some, some potential defenses though under the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act. I'm gonna read it to you and then I'm gonna explain it to you afterwards. It's a defense under the DTPA if you provide notice in writing to the buyer that the information was obtained from another source and you did not know or could not have known that the source of the information was false, all right? And so, which, so what should we have done in the example I gave you where you're um, client told you it was 5,500 square feet. Then you should put down in that flyer 5,500 square feet per owner, okay? It's as simple as that, but you'd be amazed at how many times the agents don't do that. And the other thing you got to remember also is that um, you cannot have known or have reason to believe to know that the information was false. In an actual lawsuit I handled, the, um, in, in this situation, the agent put down uh, 5,500 square feet per builder because the builder was his client. And he's like, well, that's the way I'm supposed to do it, right? Well, the problem was he had a prior appraisal report that indicated it was actually 4,000 square feet. So remember, you can't, for it to be a defense, you cannot have know or have reason to believe to know that that information was false. The other thing I also tell my um, agents is that if you, for example, you're getting it from your client, the information from your um, um, seller client, make sure they always initial off on those um representations, if you want to call them, anywhere that you have, where it's on the flyer or the disclosure or wherever, or the MLS, excuse me, um, that make sure they initial on it because later on when they're getting deposed and the buyer's attorney asks that your, your good friend client, for example, well, where did my, um, this agent get that information? He's going to say, well, I don't know. You have, you know, I have the slightest idea. You know, I sure certainly didn't tell him. So you want to make sure that they, initial, at least at minimum, an initial off on that so they don't say later on, well, I wasn't aware of that. So it's important that you do that. I mean, I, I'll give you a couple other examples that, of cases I've handled. Have you ever seen, if you as a real estate agent, you ever seen before on these flyers, horses allowed? Because I had a lawsuit one time where it said horses allowed and guess, and he got it from his client, the information from his client. Well, guess what? Horses weren't allowed. They were deed restricted. All that agent had to do in that example was Horses allowed per owner. It's as simple as that, but they didn't do it that way. And then of course they can't have information that would indicate that that information was false as well. Okay. Well, that's great information. It makes it uh, a little scary for these folks to, to have to disclose, disclose and disclose. Um, and and we, we've talked about it for years, you know, in, in real estate, the three magical words are location, location, location. But on the E&O side, We've always said disclose, disclose, disclose. Um, Tom, what percentage, I'm putting you on the spot here, what percentage of your lawsuits that come across your desk are failure to disclose? Is it 40, 50%? Probably about 75 to 80%. 75 to 80%, okay. 
That's uh, that's crazy. What are some some tips, just in disclosure, that uh, that you can give the the viewers here? Maybe if it's um, you know maybe something that somebody's unhappy about, or something maybe the agent knows about that maybe doesn't want to now disclose. Um, give us give us your expertise there. Yeah, and I'll give you a, a good example too, of course, because the actual lawsuit I've been involved in. You know, we already went over that it's always essential for you to disclose any material issues or defects regarding the property. But what I always tell the agents when I put on this class is that if you're asking yourself, is this something that I should disclose? Well, guess what? Just disclose it. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, you already answered the question. And so a really good example I give that another lawsuit that I was I handled is in this situation, a contract comes in on a listing that an agent has. An inspection is done by a licensed inspector, which reveals potential problems with the foundation. That deal falls through when the potential buyer fails to obtain financing. Another contract comes in, and this time you're the smart real estate agent. You're going to get a structural engineer to take a look at it. So the structural engineer takes a look at it, gives it a clean bill of health, and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, structural engineer sure knows a lot more about it than a regular inspector, so I don't think I even need to disclose that earlier inspection report. So they close on the property. Um, you know what's going to happen next. It turns out there was some problems. And so um, it's going to come up later on when they take your deposition and you being the real estate agent um, that, that this prior report that wasn't disclosed. So, you know, keep yourself out of lit litigation by just disclosing everything. So make sure you disclose that prior report in this situation. And for those of you that are real estate agents are well-versed in this, you know, there's a, a there's a section of the seller's disclosure where you have to put that in that information anyway. So, but in that situation, see how something is innocent of the way that happened, where you actually went out and got a structural engineer that gave a clean bill of health and you thought, ah, you know, we don't need to disclose this earlier bit. Well, yes, just disclose it. If you're asking yourself, you need to disclose it, then you probably already answered your question. Okay. Well, back in the day, so many people were worried about, uh, you know, printing paper and having this large file uh, to deal with. And now with all the cloud services, you know, you really, you can drag as many emails or whatever into a file. Uh, how long should a real estate agent keep those files? Uh, should they ever delete them or should they just keep them in case something pops up later? Are there statutes in Texas that are two and three years? Yeah, that's the statute of limitations in Texas. Uh, I get asked that question a lot. As far as how the statute of limitations works in Texas, which is how long they had to sue you, that's what we're talking about. It depends on the type of claim that you have. If it's a under the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act or a negligence claim, it's two years. But if it's for fraud or a breach contract, it's a four-year statute of limitations. But the way that really works is it's two or four years from when they discover they have a claim against you. So the example I always give is let's say that um, um, that these people buy a piece of property. Five years later, they decide they want to do some renovation. They tear down a wall, and it turns out that there's a termite infestation there. They do a little bit of digging, you know, they hire a lawyer, and it turns out that you, as a real estate agent, had a prior report from way back when that indicated that there was termite infestation there. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, now, Tom said the longest they can sue us is four years, right? So this is five years later, so I'm okay, right? No, you're not okay because they, didn't discover it until five years later. And it's what a reasonable person would have discovered under the same or similar circumstances. And I think it's more than reasonable that they don't discover it until they tear down a wall, right? So there's no basis for why or how they should have ever known about that issue or problem back then. So um, 
as far as how long you need to, uh, so that's an example of, you know, if I had my way, you'd keep your records, you'd never um, expunge them. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, mean I, I hear this a lot from the real estate agents. They say, well, I follow the, generally follow the, the IRS rule, you know, keep records for seven years. And I think that if, if you go by that, you should probably be fine by that, by that is that, because usually a defect's going to manifest itself by then. But with your luck, probably it's going to be the, as a real estate is going to be the one time where it comes, you know, after that. So if I had my way, I just keep, keep your records. And like you said, with the cloud and everything else, there's no reason you can't keep those. And, you know, I get this a lot sometimes too, where the agent says, yeah, but what if I put down on my records that something that's illustrates I did something wrong, you know, should I really be putting down that information? Well, if you're doing your job right and you, mm-hmm put down what the information you're supposed to be doing, then you shouldn't be worried about that. So you should always be putting down. The other thing I also always like to include is make sure you always include a chronological log of events when they happen at the time that they transpire. So, I mean, that's generally about it. What I have as far as risk management is involved here today. Perfect. A follow-up question. Um, we and E&O insurance define a, a claim as a demand for money or services. What exactly does that mean? How does an agent really know if they're getting named in a lawsuit or if they have somebody who's unhappy? Because it can come via email, phone call, text. Give us your insight on that. How does a customer know or a client know that they have a potential lawsuit that somebody's unhappy? Well, I guess that the question is, what's a claim? You got to look at the how that term is defined in your policy. So it could be just about anything. It's But generally, it's what when a reasonable person or in the same or similar circumstances has an indication um, that there may be a claim for money damages now or in the future. But I always tell uh, the agents that, look, if, you're get, if you get like a subpoena or to testify or to provide documents or whatever, don't just think, well, that's not necessarily a money claim. Just let your E&O carrier know about that. And let them figure it out. You know, more likely than not, they're going to um, send it over to somebody like me to um, handle it on your behalf. And so then you're not, you got the benefit of counsel without just floundering around without uh, an attorney to assist you in that. Right. And that could be a demand, not only for money, but for performing yes. too, correct? Okay. Yeah. Any kind of consideration, you know, it could be just about anything. So it kind of falls under the same um, realm of, if you're asking yourself the question, you know, don't take any, uh, you know, don't, you need to go ahead and just notify your carrier and let them figure it out, all right? And so the other thing is I wanna make sure that um, if you do have a, a, a potential claim or whatever, and you come up for renewal, you wanna make sure you always include that information in that renewal You know when you, when you include that. So, uh, cause you don't want them later on saying, well, you didn't include that information and um, litigation pops up and so you're not covered under it. So always make sure you include that information. Right. We've always preached to the real estate agents, if you have anything in, a, in your transaction that doesn't sound right or look right, you know, go to your management team and let them address it because the management team has access to the Crest Risk Management Hotline and they can call and say, hey, I was just given this notice. Do I have something here? Did I do something wrong? Do we need to write a pound sand letter and make them go away? Or do I have a potential problem here? And uh, it's the great thing is that they're going to have you probably on the other side of that hotline to help them navigate through that uh, that issue. So that's uh, that's great risk management. Sure. Tom, that's all we have for today. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy, but hopefully it's not another 20 years before we get you back on here. 
But uh, thank you so much for, for the questions today or the answers today and uh, for keeping everybody um, uh, abreast and hopefully navigating through uh, E&O lawsuits in Texas. No problem. I always appreciate. I'll always give my two cents worth for whatever that's worth, so to speak. So Absolutely. I appreciate your time as well. Well, thank you so much. Laura, back to you. Thank you both. As always, very, very informative. Uh, great information, especially on the insurance side of it. I completely agree. If you have something, whether it's a text message, a writing, email, whatever, hand it over to your insurance carrier. Let them take a look at it and advise you on the next step. So thank you all for watching. Um, a copy of this webinar is available on the Crest website. If you look at the Claim Prevent blog, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.